All right, fantastic. You already turned to Matthew. Now look at chapter 6. If I didn't already say that, I was, um, as you know, I was off on holiday for a couple of weeks and um, coming back and, and getting into just the, the rhythm of, of study and contemplation week and, you know, throughout the week for a Sunday was, uh, it was good. It was like just enough time where I was like, ah, this was a good break, but then maybe just enough time that was like, oh, that's right. This is what it's like to, to get in and prepare for a Sunday. So we're looking at Matthew 6. The portion of text that I want to look at today is verses 19, verses 19 through 34. It's, um, it's a pretty good chunk of Scripture, but um, I believe that the Lord has got something for us today. I know that the Lord has something for us today, and I'm excited to um, get the keynote in place here so I can stop thinking about it. There we go, Matthew 9, it's Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Before we look at the text, I just want to say a few things. Um, a couple of weeks ago, as we looked at Matthew chapter 5, uh, first let me just say this, we're, we're taking the book of Matthew and we're teaching through it. We're not teaching topically, but we're teaching through it, um, exegetically looking at the scriptures and trying to understand what the scriptures mean in their context, but we're also doing it under the umbrella, under the theme of not of this world, and we're looking at what it is to be the new creation of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. To understand, what, it, what does it look like? What are the things that we ought to exhibit? What are the thoughts that we ought to have? What are our actions? What are our passions? What are our desires that are consistent with what is true in Scripture? Not just what we think, but what is true within Scripture that's revealed to us by a Spirit. And as we looked at Matthew chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago, Rick pulled out a statement, and there's about... Uh, three or four, five times in Matthew chapter 5 in, in, in a couple of different ways. But Jesus says this, You have heard it said to those of old. And then he follows it and he makes a statement. This is what you've heard. And then he says, But I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And I want to remind you of that as we begin this morning. Because that's a very significant statement that Jesus is making. And I'm not going to teach it all over again because Rick did an excellent job on that. But I, will, I bring it to mind again because it's going to project us into Matthew 6 today. Because what Jesus is doing is he's introducing a new orientation into the minds of the disciples and into the hearts of the disciples. And he's saying to them, you've heard it said this way. This is what you've understood. This is what you have thought. But I say to you today, as Jesus Christ as the second Adam, as the firstborn of the new creation, I say to you, this is how you ought to think. This is how you ought to act. This is how you ought to give yourself to this particular um, subject matter. And this is an important thing for us to remember. And with this, Rick also said, remember, he, he opened Romans chapter 7. He spoke on the law of the spirit of life. And he juxtaposed it to the law of spirit of death that Paul speaks of. And Paul says to us that it's no longer the law of the spirit of, life, of, of death that is at rule in your bodies, but now it is the law of the spirit of life that is ruling over you. And as the new creation again, that is what is true of us. We are no longer under the law of death, but we are under the law of the spirit of life. And that law of the spirit of life comes with it its own set of values and ethics and lifestyle. 
And again, we've been looking through that as we've gone, beginning in Matthew chapter 4 and into chapter 5, and what's commonly known as the Beatitudes. We're beginning to look at the values, the lifestyle, the ethics, the ways of the new creation, the ways of the kingdom of God is what Jesus refers to it as within Scripture. This new life law, the law of the spirit of life, is to be experienced. Experientially, it is the new creation. Let me just say that again, maybe a little bit without the stuttering. The new life law, the law of the spirit of life, experientially in our lives, is what it means to be the new creation of Jesus Christ. If I can make that connection for us. That's what Paul also refers to as being the new man. Without, throughout Scripture, we have different ways of understanding the same thing, but let's not lose it within the terminology, but let's see it for how Scripture beautifully unpacks this new creation that is who we are as as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. So this is what we're seeking to understand. And just, again, for those of you who weren't with us, by way of quick, quick reminder, we studied through the book of Acts, and we looked at Acts through the lens of the power and the proclamation of the gospel through the church to a watching world, to an unknowing world. And as we came to the end of Acts, it was apparent to us that it isn't just the message of the gospel. It isn't just the verbal proclamation, but it's the visible testimony also in conjunction with the verbal verbal proclamation. Don't lose that. But it's the two in conjunction together that make the witness of the gospel to a watching world. And so we said, what does this mean? We have to then begin to look at what it is to be a Christian today. And so we are doing that now through Matthew. I was reading this week as I was preparing, and I read a quote, and the, and the individual says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And I read that, and I went, wow, there's some truth to that statement. There is a lot as much as we probably don't want to admit it, there is a lot of truth to that statement. An unbelieving world finds that unbelievable, that here we are, we say these things, and we walk out that door, and there isn't consistency between what we say and how we act fully. And that isn't to guilt us. I'm not saying that to to put condemnation on you, but I say that as a reminder that what is true about us, while not always experienced perfectly, because it won't, Because as we've already talked about this morning, we live in a fallen world. And our human nature is still such that it's, yes, we are regenerate. Yes, these things are true about us. But we don't experience them perfectly day in and day out. And so we remember that. So this isn't a a guilting thing. This is just a reminder to encourage us that, listen, there's more. There's more within Scripture that's revealed for us that God wants us to walk in, to experience, to live out, and to exemplify. And it's for us to to mine that vein and to figure out what that is and to begin to live in such a way. And again, what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians? If If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the new has come. He doesn't say that the new should come or the or the new could come, but that the new has come. 
And so what is that newness of life? Again, and Rick spoke about that as well. What is the newness of life that is ours that we are to walk in? And so I felt like this morning as I prepared in Matthew chapter 6, the word that came to my heart and mind is reorientation. And I feel like the Lord this morning, personally, but also collectively as a community, wants to reorient, not just necessarily one way of thinking, although there may be something highlighted this morning as you go out, but all of who we are. He wants to reorient us to, from here, from looking downward at the, that which is temporal, to that which is eternal. He wants to change the lens from the old to the new. The old way of looking at things to the new and correct way of looking at things. How many of you this morning need a, a, a lens change in a certain area of your life? Or maybe all together. I think we all could probably and should probably raise our hand to some degree. Unless you're walking this life out in a way that you feel is absolutely consistent with Scripture on a moment-to-moment basis, we all probably need an adjustment of the lens in which we're looking at things through. So through that statement of him saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus is engaging with his disciples in that moment. He's setting an expectation of a reorientation of looking at it from this way, and now this is the way that you are to look at it. Let's look at the text. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 19 through 34. I'm reading out of the ESV. Um, it's going to be pretty close to, if you have something other than the ESV, it's not a problem. I'm sure you'll get the gist of what we're saying. He begins, it's broken into two sections, verses 19 through 24. It's titled, Lay Up Treasures in Heaven. And 25 through 34 is labeled, Do Not Be Anxious. And I'm going to read it just from beginning to end. Verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves... Treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Whether neither moth nor rust, nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, What you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, this is key, the Gentiles seek after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Lord Jesus, what a wonderful, beautiful portion of text that we have read so many times, I'm sure. Yet this morning we come to it with fresh eyes, Father, asking for you to speak to us by your Spirit, to reveal to our hearts, God, what it is that you have for us to understand and to learn regarding our identities in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for the Word of God that has been divinely and sovereignly preserved for us to hold and to read, to know, and to enjoy. And Father, this morning, above all, we want to delight in your revealed Word to us. And so we set our eyes upon you. We put aside any distractions at this moment, any circumstances of the morning or of the week. And Father, this moment, this morning, these hours are about you and for you and of you, Lord God. And we set our hearts and our minds upon you at this moment, Lord Jesus. Would you speak to us today? Would you show yourself, Father, through this text and reveal your heart unto your church, Lord and that it would be for your glory and your glory alone. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I said a moment ago, I believe that the Lord this morning wants to do a reorientation. And so I've um, got three reorientations this morning that the Lord is going to reveal to us out of this portion of text. There's a reorientation of desires, a reorientation of wealth, and a reorientation of necessities. And we're going to look at each one. Each one of these are similar in their ultimate end in that they deal with material things. They deal with earthly material things. Yet they're experienced different, differently in our lives. And they have a hold, if I could say, use that expression, on us in different ways to different degrees, probably varying from each individual to the next. So while at first glance they might seem similar, they are in fact different in the heart and mind of the Lord Jesus, I believe. And so I want to look at these three reorientations this morning. Jesus in this text uses one of the most powerful demands, desires, earthly weapons, attractions, etc., can be offered to the human heart, that is material possessions, the things that are ours, that are belongings, our comforts, our life enhancements. Jesus is dealing with those in this text right here. And again, don't lose sight of what I said a moment ago about Jesus explicitly setting for them a new way of thinking about such things. It's cutting to the root of human desire, addressing in the hearts of men one of the most powerful draws that there can be. It's interesting, I thought about this, when the Lord begins to touch this area of life, why is it, this specific area, why is it that we tend to recoil 
And we have this tendency to focus on the don'ts. And right away, our heart goes to those legalistic things. And it's like, God, you can really be a killjoy sometimes. Because all of a sudden, we start hearing, oh, natural possessions, wealth, etc. Don't touch those things. Because those are mine. And I think that's a natural heart reaction. Why is that? And I think it's because we look at these things, again, through the wrong lens. We're looking at them through the old creation perspective. But Jesus wants us to look at them through the freedom and through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and to harness these things for the glory of God and for the power of the kingdom of God here on this earth. So it's an old creation perspective that says, ah, don't talk about wealth. Don't talk about these things that I have and that I hold. So the first reorientation is found in verses 19 through 21, and it's the reorientation of their desires. The word that Matthew uses, which he quotes, of course, Jesus saying, is the word treasure, and treasure means just that. It's treasure. It isn't one specific thing. It's treasure. It's the thing that you desire, the thing that holds you, perhaps, the thing that has you to some degree. It's the temporal valuables of life. It's the earthly gains. We look at that and I think oftentimes we read treasure as just monetary. But it's not just monetary. In fact, I believe, again, what he's speaking of are the comforts of life, the eases of life, the excesses. Let me say the excesses of comforts. Because comfort in and of itself isn't a bad thing. But it's the excess thereof that I believe Jesus is addressing in this. And the emphasis that he uses in Matthew 6, it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And that's telling because they're earthly. It's the temporal, it's the fading, it's that which, as he says, is subject to rot and to decay and to moth. It's the eases of life. It's interesting, too, as you look at this text, it actually can be rendered, stop storing up for yourself. There's, this, there's a present tense to the command within this. It isn't just in the future, don't do this, but it's in the present. So there's a present call of the Lord to say, stop doing this. Stop laying up for yourselves that which is earthly, that which will rot, that which will decay. See, the valuing of treasure both flows from and reveals the orientation of the heart. The value of treasure flows from the orientation of the heart, but it, and it reveals the orientation of the heart as well. The things that we work the hardest for, the things that we put the most effort into, the things that perhaps we think about the most or we save our resources for the most, those are the things that we value. Are they of the eternal nature or are they predominantly in our hearts and minds of the temporal nature? See, again, earthly treasures are not harmful in and of themselves, but the point that Jesus is making is this, that the life of the new creation is radically oriented away from the priorities of the earth. The two are incongruent with each other, I would go so far to say. 
We're reoriented towards the priorities, the priorities, that which is of the greatest value of heaven and of the king, our king. I was thinking about this too, the kingdom of God. When I think about the kingdom and when Jesus speaks of the kingdom, what do we hear about the kingdom? The kingdom is of selling. It's of giving away. It's of shirking things off. It's not of amassing and keeping and protecting, right? What is it he's going to say in a few chapters um, later? He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in the field. And what does the man do? His, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. And then Jesus shortly thereafter goes on to say that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search for fine pearls, who in finding one went and sold all that he had and bought it. So the kingdom of God is not about this, but it's about this. It's about giving away. It's about, it's about expelling in a sense. It's about, it's about reaching for that which is only from him at the expense of perhaps losing or at least not amassing that which is of this earth. And what does he say to, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? The two are incompatible with each other. And it's a, this is a heart issue, you guys. This is, what is it that has us? We've said that before. It isn't about necessarily what you have, but it's about what has you. What has you today? Again, this isn't just about money, but this is about valuables. What do you value? Because the Lord Jesus wants you to value what he values. And we're going to get to that here in just a moment. The second reorientation is wealth. Matthew chapter 6, 24 is where he speaks of this. It's interesting, the analogy that Jesus uses here in Matthew 6, 24. It's that of a slave and of a master. Now, I was thinking about this. The statement that no man can serve two masters is actually experientially slightly untrue. We don't experience that. In fact, I think we live in the opposite of that. We serve two masters on a regular basis. But what Jesus is not talking about is multitasking. He's speaking of the total commitment. Listen, he's speaking about the total commitment which God's kingship requires. Dare I say commands. The total commitment that God's kingship requires. And the pursuit of wealth. That's what he's speaking about. It isn't just those two, you know, you can't, you, 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 you can't do this and do that. No, he's saying that my kingdom, again, it's incongruent to pursue this and say you pursue the things of the eternal nature. You cannot. You cannot. Not you should not, but you cannot. The orientation is birthed, again, from the new, the other from the old. The old creation, the old Adam says, I'm going to pursue this, wealth. I'm going to pursue this money. I'm going to pursue this thing because it brings to me the, and it affords to me the desires of my heart. But the new creation, the new kingdom, life in the kingdom of God says, no, I'm going to pursue this over here. Again, money is not evil in and of itself. But it's Jesus, and he's saying that the pursuit 
of such a thing is not only incompatible in the Christian life, but it's even possibly impossible. Just as a slave cannot work for another master, and in this context, again, he's speaking about a slave, and a slave was, was owned. It wasn't just a contract to work for somebody. They were owned by someone. And so that particular individual could not just go and have their own desire, go and work for someone else. That's the analogy that Jesus is using here. You cannot. Not that you should not, but you cannot. Therefore, you cannot seek this and seek this simultaneously. It's impossible. Jesus' warning is about the possession of such which can, which can become a focus of concern and greed which would compete with our loyalty to God himself. Just to make this point, he interjects this interesting couple of verses in verse 22 and 23, which we read it, and the first, the first and the third chunks of this portion of text, they make sense, and I don't know if you read verse 22 and 23, you're kind of like, what is he trying to do here with this bit? But he says that the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light... In you is darkness. How great is the darkness? The key to this is found in the phrase, if your eye is healthy. This is super interesting here. The word in the Greek is actually more better translated as the word for single. If your eye is single, then the light will be within you. But if your eye is unhealthy, then it will be darkness. Jesus is showing us the demand for single-mindedness that following him requires. The single eye looks to God as his master, thereby filling him with the light of God and his will. But the bad eye looks to earthly things. It looks to treasures. It looks to desires. It looks to wealth, allowing darkness of greed, self-preservation, and worry to pervade his being. That is what Jesus is saying in this text. And so it's tying the two together then very clearly. We must be resolute. Because to follow Jesus, it requires a single-mindedness. I hope this is okay for you guys this morning. I, I'm, we have to let the Lord touch these things. And, and I mean, this isn't, obviously, this isn't self-serving in a sense of like, we're not talking about even giving or tithing. I'm just talking about what are the things that have our hearts? What are the valuables of life? You know, that, the first bit on desires, it could be your family. That could be in the place that's in potentially idolatry before the Lord. So this morning as we're sitting here and as you're listening to me and hopefully the Spirit of God is speaking to you through this text, allow Him to show you and to highlight what are these things that we need to be reoriented in in our life? The pursuit of material things will always be in conflict with the kingship of God. At the heart of materialism lies idolatry, the exchanging of our worship for something other than the Creator Himself. So the call of new creation life is to single-mindedness, to serving and to living for Christ Jesus alone. 
interesting too, I read this as I was reading another quote. This gentleman says, this, the same guy, he says, to the extent that my eyes are fixed on Jesus, I forget about myself. And I thought, well, that too, what a, what a, just a beautiful expression. Because is that not true? The, the more that we look upon, what's the, the song that turn your eyes upon Jesus? And what's the, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace, right? Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your eyes upon him this morning. Especially if there's an area of unbelief in this. If you're concerned and you're worried about your retirement and your future and having enough, perhaps you're not even stockpiling that. Maybe you're still working on that. Or maybe you're getting a little bit older in age and that's not even in place this morning. Look to Jesus. Because those things will grow strangely dim. Because, and we're going to see in a moment, the Lord promises to us everything that we need according to his goodness and his mercy and his grace for those who are his children of which we are this morning. And so the third reorientation is just that. It's our necessities. It's not the excess. It's not the things perhaps that are, that are supplementary to just the basics of life. It's the basics. The Lord Jesus even wants us to reorient how we consider and how we look at our basic needs. And this, is, of course, is found in that last portion of the text of verse 25 through 34. And what I'm not going to do is I'm not just going to break that text down. There's a lot of really wonderful, beautiful, encouraging words from the Lord Jesus in there. And I hope um, just within this short amount of time that I can do justice to the overarching um, trajectory of it. So Jesus ends his discourse striking to the core of our most basic earthly need, food, drink, and clothing. All he did was leave out dwelling. Dave Ramsey, if you ever listen to Dave Ramsey, talks about three things. You, if, you're, if you're trying to save up money, you just spend money on food, clothes, and house. That's it. There's nothing else. Dave Ramsey would be proud of this, uh, of this teaching from Jesus in Matthew. Yeah, that's right. Dave Ramsey would approve of Jesus' teaching. <laughs> So with this statement, Jesus is cutting to the heart of his listeners, who I would imagine are probably saying, well, surely we must at least be concerned with these most basic of things, right? Surely he's not, he, he, I mean, I get the extra stuff, but really, God, are you really talking about this as well? And it's like Jesus says, listen, listen, the proof here is in the pudding. Test me and see. Test me and see. You want, to, you, you want to believe. Now listen, I tell you, if I'm asking you for those things, I'm asking you for these things, and I promise that I will give you them as well. The issue here is not, though, on these three things, the food, the drink, or the clothing. That's not the issue that Jesus is really addressing. Jesus is addressing a matter of faith in the good Father's care for his children. That's what it is. It's a matter of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Six times in this passage of Matthew, Jesus uses the word anxious, which that word can also be translated, in other, as we see in other translations, to the word worry. This word worry here, the word that he uses here, is not just general concern, but in the Greek it's the opposite 
of our practical trust in God, which in its essence is faith itself. So he's using this word for worry to contrast the life of the new creation, which is an act of faith, of utter dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that of the old, which is anxiety and worry and concern about the basic necessities of life. So it isn't the items that they're concerned for, but rather the worry or the lack of faith in God which Jesus is addressing. What does he say? What's the the parable of the sower? The worries of the world and the deceit of wealth are the thorns which choke out the good seed. It's the worries of the world and the deceit of wealth that choke out the good seed. See, I look at Matthew 24, or I look at this portion of Matthew 6, and man, that is a promise text for us. That is a text that you can hang on to when your bank account is low, or you've got holes in your shoes, or you have fill in the blank, and you can hold on to that text. Now, does that mean that he's going to array you in the glory of Solomon like it's perhaps we could look at here? No, he's not saying that. But what he's saying is that his care for you, his love for you, his concern for you is that of a father. And that you will be lacking nothing as you live in faith for him because it's his, it's his, it's his delight to give his children good things. And as, as I highlighted as we read through the text, he puts it up against the Gentiles And what does he say? It's there in verse 32. Don't be anxious in saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And so once again, he's setting up this contrast between the old way of thinking and the new. The Gentiles who are pursuing with fervency. And the word that he's going to use in verse 33 for seek The kingdom is the same word that he uses to describe the fervency of which the Gentiles go after the things of this earth. And so again, he's going to contrast and he's going to say, with that same passion, with that same amount of desire and fervency, go after the things of the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God. And then we know, of course, what does he say? All of these things. All of which things? These things. Well, the last one. Maybe not the wealth and desires. (laughs) But all of these things, your basic needs, are going to be given to you. See, this type of living not only takes faith in him, but it also necessitates grace from him, which we know that there's grace to live the Christian life. That's promised to us. It's given to us by the Spirit of God. It's been imparted into us as we have been made new in Christ Jesus. So it's not just a muster it up and get it done type of mentality. It's a lean into the grace of God by faith. It's a rest in the finished work of God by faith. And allow me to do these things as you again, as you fix your eyes upon me, as you seek first, the primarily, first and foremost, seek these things. Then by faith and by my grace, I'm going to give you what you need. It's not an easy task laying our needs, especially for those of us, if we have children, 
laying our family's needs. It's one thing for you to say, oh, I'm going to muster and live off of Top Ramen for the next six months. But you add a few kids into the mix and a wife, you, can't, you don't get to do that. You don't have that luxury, right? No, it's not an easy thing to live this way. I say this, but I'm telling you, this, I, this was as much for me this week as I studied and prepared for this morning. I just felt like the Lord was stirring in my own heart a reorientation of how I look at these things. What are my expectations? Especially the first and the second one. How am I orienting myself right now? And again, I'm not going to impose my convictions upon you, but I'm just asking you to hold all of it loosely with your hands open before the Lord Jesus. Because he wants to use both you now and he wants to use you for the future as well. And that includes our resources. And I was thinking about this as well. Outside of Christ Jesus, I was thinking about these three orientations personified outside of Christ. The first is you've got a miser, right? Someone that just like hoards and hunkers down is a penny pincher. The second person that you have is a slave outside of Jesus Christ, is you have a slave. And the third, of course, what we just looked at is we've got the worrier or the anxiety. Outside of Jesus Christ, and these are debilitating. They can be. And to some degree, we don't even know that they are sometimes until we really sit and do some introspection and think about how, how much does this really have my heart. So as I said, just to, to conclude it this morning, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And I'm sure I won't do enough justice to this exact verse because there's so much to be said about this one verse itself. But I would just say this, make it your priority to find the kingdom of God. In the same way that the Gentiles, as I said, sought after the things of this earth, so too we are to seek the things of God and the kingdom of God. Make it your priority. Resolve to live under God's control. Seek first the kingdom. Resolve to live under his control. Resolve to live with his righteousness as your aim and as the trajectory of your life. Resolve to reflect his kingship through your choices and through your actions. Resolve. Determine this in your heart today. Resolve to live with faith in Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Resolve to seek, pursue, and to aim for all that he commands. Because if we do, the Father who knows our needs and whose way we seek to follow will supply all of our needs for us. Let's allow God's reorientation in this new way of living to take place in our hearts that we might live more for his glory. And I just want to end it with Paul's words in Philippians chapter 4. And he says this, it's somewhat of his doxology in Philippians. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then he finishes, he's caught up in that statement. And let's get caught up in that this morning. To God the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord Jesus Christ give us the grace to live this life. Amen? Excellent. Would you please stand with me?